How are you this morning? It's so nice to be with you once again on a Sunday morning. Thanks for being here. We're going to continue this series this morning. Before I dive into this, I hope before you leave this morning, you will meet my friends Will and Talmud Schmidt, who've been friends of our family for a very long time. They live here in the Tampa area, and they're visiting with us today. I posted on Facebook yesterday that I was speaking, and they decided to come torture themselves this morning. So thanks for being here, guys, and I hope you'll say hello to them. They're wonderful folks, and uh, they're, uh, Kim and William are also beloved friends of ours. So uh, anyway, delighted to have you here today. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I grew up in a church where we did worship differently. Um, there was no instruments. It was all just voices. It was a cappella, if you're familiar with that term. And, and it wasn't like the sing-off or, you know, well, that show, you know, where it's all just voices. And it's not that complicated. But it was, it was a very simplistic but beautiful way to worship God. And, and it is. And I, I love it. And I miss it some days. Everybody, like even the little kids, like knew four-part harmony. And it was, it was fun to sing and learn new songs together. It was a great experience. Well, I remember being little and in the church I grew up in, there was a, an older gentleman that would visit, and he would only visit once a year. I think he was the father or the grandfather of someone in the church, and he was a great singer. And so when he would visit with us, whoever was in charge would say, oh, we should have him lead the singing, which would essentially, leading the singing would be one person who would get up, who would pick the song, who would start the song, and then beat the time of the song with their hand like this. Some people were better at beating time than others. Some people in their time beating made it worse than better. But they all tried. This gentleman, though, had such a powerful, beautiful, deep, resonant voice. And I remember as a little kid that every time he would come and lead singing, he would always end with the same song. He loved this song. I guess it was his favorite song. It was the old hymn do you know my Jesus? I don't know if you've heard this song before, but the verse, it, 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 the, the whole song is a series of questions. It's just one question after another. The first verse said, Are you a soul that's weary with a load of care? Are you a soul that's seeking rest from the burdens you bear? And then when he got to the chorus, that's when he would really kick it in. And I won't do him justice, but he would sing, Do you know my Jesus? Do you know my friend? And then his voice would get even higher. He'd sing, Have you heard he loves you and that he will abide till the end? Oh, thank you. That's so nice. Thank you. And when he got to the end of that song, every time he had a little tear in his eye. And when I was a little kid, I thought that was silly. Why is this guy crying, singing this song? I've sung this song a hundred times. 
This song's been around a long time. It's not like it's the first time I've heard this song. Why was he so emotional every year about the same song? As I've gotten older and thought about that experience, I, I think it was because he was legitimately at the deep down part of himself asking everyone in the room, do you know my Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? And the wording is very important. The song doesn't ask, do you know about my Jesus? Do you know some information? Have you studied deep enough and long enough to know the information about Jesus and all the theological pieces of that? That's not the question. The question is, do you know him? You know, I know about Taylor Swift, but I do not know Taylor Swift. I know about my wife, but I also know my wife in a very personal way. It's different. But the other thing about that question that is so interesting is he's not saying, do you know the Jesus of the Bible? Do you know the Jesus of the American church culture? Do you know the Jesus of the Passion of the Christ movie made by Mel Gibson? It's not what he's asking. Do you know my Jesus? My Jesus. And what's so interesting about that is even though there is a universal truth to Jesus and what Jesus is, I think when we sat in the if we walked around this room and talked to everyone and said, well, tell me about your Jesus, the story would be the same, but also different. But also different. And that's one of the beautiful things about Jesus, is it's not just one universal story, although it is. It is on a very personal level the opportunity for us to each own Jesus in our own way and own that relationship in a way that means something to us. And with our different personalities and temperaments, there are things about Jesus that mean the world to you that have meant nothing to me. And it's the same on the reverse. At its core, that is what we are trying to do in this series called Behold. To ask you, do you know Jesus? And to give each one of us the opportunity to really pursue in our own hearts what it is to behold Jesus in our own lives, in our own way. And last week, Benjamin opened this series with a wonderful lesson about what it is to behold and what that's all about. And today... The topic of this lesson is marvel, to marvel. No, we are not going to talk about my second favorite comic book company in the world, the first being, of course, DC, the publisher of Batman and Superman. We are not going to talk about Spider-Man and Captain America and the Hulk and the Fantastic Four. God love them. They've never had a decent movie. We're going to talk about a different type of marveling, though it is the same reason why they call it Marvel Comics, because these are characters we are in awe of in their stories. But the story that we want to focus on this morning, that at least I want to start with, is in Luke chapter 2, and it's the story of a bunch of shepherds. And you know the story of Jesus. He's born 
in a city that his parents do not live in, the city of Bethlehem. And when they come, there is no room in the inn. And so they stay in a barn. And he's born in an animal trough, a horse trough. A manger is the word we like to use, but it's a place where animals ate food with hay and gross stuff on the floor and all that. That's where he is. That is where the Savior of the world, the God incarnate in flesh, is hanging out in his first moments. And as that occurs, these shepherds, these unassuming guys that are nobodies to the world, nobody cares about them, their stories were never going to get told, they were going to be lost to history five minutes after they died. But instead, we get this story. And it is in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And I'm going to read a lot of verses here, so stay with me. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were very joyful. They were terrified. Terrified. The presence of the Lord in a visceral, real, strong, powerful way, not a subtle way, but in a powerful way appeared to them. And what happened? Scared them to death. Scared them to death. If they'd been wearing underpants, they would have needed new ones. Right. You got the joke, Judah. But the angel said to them, there was an angel there, and the angel said to them, the thing that is the admonition given the most in the whole Bible, if you wanted to know the thing that is said the most to people as a commandment, as an admonition, that said more than any other, it is not, don't sin, it is not, do better. The admonition over and over is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, Peace to men on whom this favor rests. Now, let me make a side note here before we continue on. When the greatest performance in the world is going to happen, it typically does not happen in a field for a bunch of nobody shepherds. It happens in Carnegie Hall. It happens in Buckingham Palace with famous people and rich people with nice clothes and long names and big reputations. That's where these performances happen. Not in the middle of a stinky field in the middle of the night with a bunch of nobodies. But that's what happened here. That's where this heavenly choir appeared and sang to these guys as soon as it was over. I can imagine it's like a Monty Python skit when it disappears and those guys are just standing there looking at each other like, what? What just happened here? What did we just see in this moment? 
Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, why don't we go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about? So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said. Now notice this verse. We're going to come back to it in a little bit. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now notice this transformation in verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They move, they move from fear, anxiety, being terrified, being overwhelmed, being discouraged and anxious and all those things to great joy, to great joy. What was the difference? What changed? What changed was that they spent time in the presence of Jesus. They spent time. They pursued it. They looked at each other and said, this just scared us to death. But let's go deeper. Let's learn more. Let's see what's underneath this. Perhaps there is something more here. That is not what we tend to do in the situations in our life that scare us. We tend to say, I don't like that. That is uncomfortable for me that is new for me, I think I will run from that. They could have very easily instead said, after that angel appeared, let's go deeper into the woods. Let's move farther from the city in case those crazy angels come back and sing some more. They moved into it to understand and know on a deeper level what these angels were singing about with a sense of curiosity, with a sense of wonder, with a sense of awe. Now, I spend a lot of time on airplanes. This past week, I was on my 100th flight just with Delta Airlines this year. So if you are wondering why I am constantly drinking water and why I have a water bottle with me pretty much everywhere I go, it's because I am afraid that I am dehydrated. And in this moment, as a side note, let me say to you, you're beautiful and amazing and capable, but you're probably also dehydrated. So drink some water, you blockhead. This is me on behalf of your mother saying this to you, and I'm going to drink some water right now, too. So I fly on planes all the time. I do not remember the very first time I flew on a plane, but I'm... I'm very often on planes with people who have never flown before, often children. And I've had conversations with kids when it was their first time, and it's nice to be able to do that and say, hey, I fly all the time. It's totally fine. But what I've noticed is, is that when parents come onto the plane with kids, one of the first things they say when they're all like, getting settled is, let him have the window seat. Let her have the window seat. The kids should have the window seat. Now, 
Why are they doing that? It's not to protect the kids from the people that are walking down the aisle. That's not the reason. It's because they think that kid will probably want to look out the window to see the view, to see the takeoff and the view in the air, and to be amazed and in awe, to marvel at that view out the window. And it is amazing to sit with people who are on flights for the first time and watch them Look out the window as we take off and we move through the clouds and they watch every stage of it and then we get up there. And if the sun is rising or setting, it makes it even more amazing because it's just awe-inspiring to watch the sun set from that high in the air. It's, it's beautiful. But more often than not, when I get onto planes, what I discover when I sit down and look around me is that everybody has the windows closed. Why? Because the light coming in is keeping them from a good view of their device. Because they really want to just watch their movie or read their texts or whatever on their phone. When the reality is we are living in a miracle, hurtling through space and air in a giant metal tube at unheard of speeds. And yet, we close the windows and we look at our devices. Now, was there a moment when we did not do that? Yes. Those early flights where we were just staring out the window at how amazing it was. But over time, over time, we lose that sense of awe. We lose that sense of wonder of flying and the miracle of it. The problem in our lives is not that we have never had a moment like these shepherds had. That's not the problem. Probably on some level, maybe not that level of epicness. Every single one of us had had a moment that was the equivalent of kind of the angels singing. Where everything was real and we felt God, his presence in a very real way. We saw him move. We saw him move. We saw it in a circumstance that was unfixable, and yet it was fixed. We saw it in the birth of a child, or a wedding day, or in an act of generosity or compassion, or a day where we stood up and said, I believe, I believe in Jesus. A day you were baptized, a day where there was, it was real for you, and you were in awe and wonder and marveling, at the idea of the relationship of God in your life and the reality of that. The problem is not that you never had that. The problem we all have is keeping it. It's keeping it. Is living in it every day. Is not beholding it once or experiencing it once, but choosing a life of marveling and beholding the presence of Jesus in every moment. In every moment. And seeing him everywhere. Everywhere. Because that is the nature of my Jesus. My Jesus is hope. After the flood has destroyed the world, when the light shines through the rain and there is a rainbow. My Jesus is courage 
to walk out on a battlefield with nothing but a bunch of stones to fight a giant. My Jesus is faith that you can walk away from your home, from your family, from everything comfortable for you, and go out on a new journey to find more in your life. My Jesus is the boldness to when I am threatened to be thrown in a fiery furnace, to say, God's with me, and I'll live. But even if I die, I will not bow. I will not surrender. I am all in. My Jesus is the ability to sit all night with a group of lions in a den and sleep. Not in fear, but in confidence that I am protected. My Jesus is a baby sleeping in a manger. Small, stinky room surrounded by goats and sheep and who knows what else. Radiating glory. My Jesus sleeps on a boat in the middle of a storm. He takes a few loaves and fishes and he feeds the world. But my Jesus is also in the small moments, in the not-so-epic things. My Jesus is visiting a foreign land and looking at a field and realizing, I've never really seen green before. Look at green! Wow! Green. My Jesus is not eating processed sugar for two months and then eating a strawberry. And being like, wow, a strawberry. My Jesus is listening to a cover of the song Dream On by Aerosmith and realizing I've loved this song my whole life, but I've never heard it before. Never heard it before. Wow, what a song. What a song. My Jesus is in text messages sent by leaders in this group about a broken toilet in that other building, that other part of the warehouse that needs to get fixed. My Jesus is in all the behind-the-scenes moments that you don't know about, of pain and hurt in this group where people stepped up to rally and they didn't ask for any credit. And you didn't know about the conversations that happened at a Moe's on a Tuesday night at 7.30 in the morning. My Jesus is in a group of people gathering in this warehouse next door on a Friday night to care and show compassion to a bunch of young people from families at New Life Village. And there were more of us than there were of the kids. My Jesus is holding a small child who was just adopted at that meeting two, two weeks ago and holding him and feeling compelled to sing. And finding yourself singing the song, Do You Know My Jesus? Which then makes you realize that two days from now you need to share that on a Sunday morning in this group, in this setting. My Jesus is in the big moments and in the small moments. In the epic changes and in the little things that you've been taking for granted. 
in the middle of all the struggles and stress and strife and agony, difficulties and problems, the question I want to ask you this morning is, do you know my Jesus? Do you know my friend? Have you heard he loves you? And that he will abide with you to the end. To the very end. Not just of this universe, but of all your days. Of all your days. When you can sit in that space, not just in the big moments of your life, but in the small moments. When you can see him in the problems and see the beauty of him in the little things and the big things, that sense of being able to marvel in beholding him. It's life-changing. It's transformative. Because this is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because whether you can see it or not, at this moment, there's a choir of angels singing over you. Over you. They are singing, glory, glory. The whole earth is filled with the glory of God. Big things and the little things, all filled. And so in the moments when you are overwhelmed with the winds and the waves and everything seems wrong, stop, behold, marvel, marvel the wonder of the world you live in and the life you have been given and of the goodness of the God who loves you. Who loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being good to us, for giving us this world to live in, we don't always understand it, but we marvel at its beauty. We are in awe of all the good that surrounds us, of all that is wonderful. Help us to see it with clarity and with confidence and with boldness. Help us to imagine and know even when we can't feel it, even when we are experiencing such difficulty and pain, Help us to know with faith and confidence that you are with us, that you intend good for us, and that this life is an abundant, beautiful place designed for our good. We want to behold you and know you in a real and a deep and true way. We call out to you in this moment. Help us to experience you more deeply and in a more beautiful, real, and full, authentic way in this moment and in every moment. In the name of Jesus, we pray.